this opportunity to welcome you to his presence and to welcome everyone who is worshiping with us online through our Facebook live feed and uh, those who will be watching this service uh, that the recorded version much later. God bless you all and thank you for your testimonies of encouragement and thank you for telling us what God is doing with the word that you are hearing. And I pray that God will continue to multiply his grace on every one of our lives in Jesus' name. We are truly grateful. Uh, by the grace of God today, we are starting a brand new series titled Embracing Ministry Gifts for Restful Increase. Let's give the Lord a big hand, a big, big, big hand. <laughs> Hallelujah. That will be our banner for the next eight weeks, next eight sessions. And um, it is just to be reminding us of what God intends of us to focus as a church and as a body of Christ globally. I, I, I say this very humbly and um, I pray it is taken in the right context. Some of the material that God is releasing to us in this place will soon become gold. It's not because I'm the one speaking it. Anyone standing on this altar over the last few years, I have gone over the recordings again. Some of the messages, I am really, really thankful to God that God is releasing to us things that very soon, very, very soon, many people will be looking for because what God has been teaching us in this place is nothing but his raw truth and what he expects of the church of today. And I just want to encourage us to make the most of that. I have seen many cases where people, after 300 years, were digging up the writings of people and the messages of people. They went and picked up their books and started to audio them and put them today. We are listening to them on the internet, the likes of Charles Spurgeon and so on. When they were preaching those messages, not too many people were listening. <laughs> not too many people were hearing them. But today, thousands of people are scrounging to say, give me that old material, give me that real material. And I, I humbly submit that I believe that God is giving us very, very decent stuff in this place. And uh, let us continue to celebrate him. I want to just say uh, this particular series is to help us to look at ministry gifts again. And um, the ministry gifts help the church in many ways. So we'll be looking at the different things. What we call the fivefold ministry will be the first five weeks. And then what's is also known as ministry gifts that was uh, instituted by basically the Holy Spirit through the workings of the original apostles. Church And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So it was established by Christ to serve the purpose of extending his message of goodwill to mankind. Luke 2.14, the Bible says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to all men. That's why he came. John 10.10 10 said, the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come. I am. He didn't say I have. He said I am because he was before we saw him physically. And he still is even after he has ascended. He said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So it is all about him. 
So he established the church to keep extending this message to mankind and to make sure that everyone who receives this message is discipled, is trained, is well informed about what this message is, is living it out, and is also conveying it to others. You see, when you train in any profession, you are trained first in a school or in some kind of vocational setting. And then they tell you the ethics of the profession and tell you how to do the job. And then it is expected, once you are trained and you can now start to do the job, it is also expected that you also train somebody. Praise the Lord. That is why you become line managers and so on and so forth. And you become somebody who is also raising others and training others. So I want you to understand that it's the same thing Jesus did. Jesus came. He said, you will now be a people who will go. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. You go into all the world and you preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You have received the gospel. You go and preach it to every creature. In Acts 1.8, just before he ascended, he said, but you shall receive power. You will preach this message, but it will be by the power I shall give to you. He said, just wait for me. You just wait for me. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So it is not to be done in their own power, never to be done in our own power. But he said, we shall receive power. And we saw the evidence of that power. One of the very first things the power did is that he gave them the opportunity to speak in a tongue that is speaking different tongues that people who came from different nations could hear. That was to show and demonstrate that that message was not just going to be for one person. I believe I, I speak a language called Yoruba, which is from southwest Nigeria. It's not my original language. Nigeria, if you know Nigeria very well, it has over 200 and something dialects. Uh, so I speak one of those 200 and something, but then among the top three languages, <laughs> praise the Lord, among the top three languages, there's a language called Yoruba. I believe if a Yoruba man was there that day, he would have heard exactly the doings of God that everybody from Pamphylia and all those places that were listed there, people from Egypt were there. Hallelujah. Because it is God's intention that every creature, go back to Mark 16, 15, every creature, every creature, everyone, everyone created is meant to hear this gospel. So the power he gave to us is so that we can speak the gospel to every creature. But you see, as part of that power, he gave us what we call ministry gifts. Somebody say ministry gifts. And spiritual gifts. Somebody say spiritual gifts. So this series we are concentrating on is on ministry gifts. Ephesians 4.11. It is on ministry gifts. But you see, before we look at these ministry gifts, I want us to be reminded something that happened in the course of uh, our discussions last year. We looked at spiritual gifts. Don't turn to it, but I just want to quickly remind you, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible says in verse 4, that there are diversities of gifts, but by the same Spirit. We said these are the Holy Spirit gifts, and we looked at them, nine of them, the working of miracles, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discernment of spirits. Then we looked at the, 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 the gift of tongues, and interpretation of tongues, and uh, discernment of spirits, the nine of them. 
So he said that these are spiritual gifts. There are diversity, but by the same Holy Spirit. Then in verse 5, 1 Corinthians 12, 5, he said that, you can write it down or note it down, but he said in that place that there are diversities of ministries, but by the same Lord. The ministries are by the same Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ is the custodian of ministries. He is the custodian of spiritual gifts, work through the Holy Spirit, but he's also the custodian of ministries. The Bible says there are diversities of ministries, but by the same Lord. And then verse 6 says, but there are also diversities of activities or operations, but by the same God who works all in all. So we can see the Trinity responsible for the spiritual gifts, the ministry gifts, and their operations. So this session we are concentrating on is purely to look at these ministry gifts to help us a little bit further. Last time we looked at the spiritual gifts, and now we're looking at ministry gifts. So the Bible says in Ephesians, if we go back to Ephesians 4.11 now, the Bible says, and therefore he gave some, somebody say he himself, say he himself, just to emphasize the fact. Now when he's talking he himself here, he's talking about Jesus Christ. The Bible says he rose up and he gave gifts to men. He said he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Now this is what we popularly call the fivefold ministry today. This is the bedrock, if you like, of those that were to champion the cause of the church that Jesus said he was establishing and uh, the gates of hell would not prevail against. Like I said, these are the five foundational ministries and offices, but there are several that emerged as the Holy Spirit continued to work with them, as we, saw in, as we saw in Acts chapter 6, which we'll look at later on when they appointed deacons into that kind of ministry, which we famous, popularly call today the table ministry. And then Paul later on came on and talked about the gift of administration, which we also will, talk, will, will quickly look at in terms of leadership and also the gift of giving, which is a special kind of ministry that is for benevolence. Those who were empowered by God to have a level of benevolence that was unusual. Everybody should give, everybody should do every one of these things, but there is an unusual anointing for the performance of each of these ministry gifts in the life of everybody. Everybody raise your right hand like this to the sky and then look at it. Everybody has five fingers, uh, should have five fingers, okay, naturally. Praise the Lord. And um, if you look at your fingers, they represent the fivefold ministry. Now, if you look at them very well, the thumb represents what we call the apostolic ministry. If you look at the, the, the thumb, it can touch all fingers. I hope yours can do that. Mine can do it very easily. <laughs> if you can't do it, make sure you practice it and make sure it's doing it. But what that means is that the apostolic ministry is the first ministry, which is the governing ministry. That's why it was listed there first. It is very important. That's what we're studying today. But just as we go in the series, we'll look at the others. The second one is the pointing ministry, which is the prophetic ministry. Somebody say the prophetic ministry. And that is for guidance. That is for guidance. So the apostolic ministry is for governing, is for establishing, is for governing, but I will give you five G's that will make you remember them. This is for governing, apostolic. The prophetic ministry, which is your index finger, is for guidance. It guides the church. God uses it to guide the church. Right from the Old Testament, we'll look at that next week. Right from the Old Testament, everybody has been, uh, uh, everybody has benefited from the prophetic ministry right through to today. And they guide. 
And then the third one, which is usually the longest of the fingers, is called the evangelism or the evangelistic ministry. And if you see, it stands taller than all the others. So it's the one that always goes out to gather. It is called the gathering ministry. It is all about the souls that are out of the church, those that are yet to be saved, and those that need to come into the church. We will look at that in two weeks' time. And then we have the pastoral ministry, which is a very popular ministry that most people fit in in the body of Christ because it is the one that has to do with guarding, guarding the people, guarding the sheep. He walks after everybody else has walked. The apostle has done their work. The prophets are doing their work. The evangelists are doing their work of gathering in. Then the pastor is responsible for guarding the sheep. And then the last, the smallest finger is called the teaching finger. It's called the teaching ministry, which is the grounding ministry. They ground people in the things of God. And uh, as you can see, most of these ministries are all working together. So whether it is the apostle that is governing, or the prophet that is, guard, that is guiding, or the evangelist that is going out to gather people, or the pastor that is guarding the sheep that have now been gathered, or the teacher that is providing a grounding for them to be strong and established, everything must work together. That is why the Bible says he himself gave some these ministries so that they can be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Paul came later on and he went on to say in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 27, he said, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And he said in verse 28, and God has appointed in one place, he said, God gave. Ephesians 4.11 says, God gave. In this place, Paul pointed it out clearly that God appointed. This is very important because the Bible says, that there are diversities of gift, but by the same Lord. And there are diversities of operation, but by the same God who works all in all. Now, why am I emphasizing this? We have a generation today who are brandishing the titles of these ministries anyhow. You see people call themselves apostle, prophet, doctor. <laughs> Even with some we had bishop. <laughs> people have gone crazy with these titles. These are not titles. These are not supposed to be things that are carried about as titles. They are supposed to be functions. The titles we just use to help us to identify and to recognize the office upon the life of somebody. As a matter of fact, if you look at the first apostles, not one time did they refer to them themselves as Apostle Peter. Apostle Paul did not look at Peter and say, Apostle Peter, uh, what are we doing about this? No, he just called him Peter. Peter just spoke to Paul. Paul spoke to Barnabas. Because they were doing the work of the apostles, that was good enough. And that is what it should be. So we should understand the place of titles and the place of function. That function is key. The Bible says it is God. No man appoints himself into any of these offices. I'm giving a background of everything, but I'm going to very quickly concentrate on apostles very shortly. He said he has appointed these, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and after these, gifts of healings, administrations, and varieties of tongues. So it is very important that we understand this. Let's read verse 12 together. We're going to read verse 12 to 16 together. This is the reason why the ministry gifts exist. Let's go together now. For the equipping of the saints, for the 
work of ministry, go back to the top, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, then for edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, he said, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Before we go on, last week we were talking about how God expects us to be perfect. How we as the righteous are still expected to be perfect. Matthew 5, 48, Jesus said, you be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So the work of this fivefold ministry is to help us to grow into perfection. To help us in the work of sanctification. To help us, first and foremost, to equip us for the work. Church is about working in the ministry. This is another uh, misconstrued concept of church. Church has been turned to so many things across cultures, across the world today. God has never meant church to replace any human organization. The church is a different organization. The church is the body of Christ. The church is not a bank, it's not an association, it's not a professional body. The church is not a social club. The church is not a tribal group. The church is none of those things that men set up which are good in themselves to serve certain purposes. The church is the entity called the body of Christ for one purpose, who are to work on the ministry called the Great Commission. They are to keep going out and converting. They are to keep ensuring that there is a world that is full of creatures that must hear that Jesus is Lord. This is the work of the church. So when God appointed these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, what he was saying is that these people will be endowed with special graces that will come upon them to equip. Somebody say to equip. To equip the church for the work and to make sure that they are doing the work of the ministry. Every one of us is called to be a witness. He said, you all shall be witnesses unto me. But when we gather in church like this, we listen to the fivefold and partake of the fivefold, not just when we gather on a Sunday, but as an entity working and functioning together. We enjoy the graces of the fivefold ministry plus the additional ministries that God gives to help us to be equipped for the work. How many people know that if you are given a task, the more the equipment you have, even if you know what to do, if you don't have the right tools, you cannot be, you cannot be productive at that task. How many people know that? If you don't have the right tools, you can't be productive. I've been using an iPad for 10 years now, this year. I think my first iPad was bought 2010, if I remember, if not 2009. I struggle to remember, but I think it was 2010. For 10 years, not the same one, but at least I've been using an iPad for 10 years. But you know what? I was thinking just over the weekend how I would have coped today, knowing how ministry used to be just 10 years before that time for me. How would I have coped today if not for a tool like this? Especially in the last seven years when God called me to this office. I couldn't imagine it anymore. Because those days, if, if all the things that I do now, if I was to, to present the way I'm presenting now, you would have seen this place full of books and so many things that I would have to be referring to. Everything I'm calling up from my, just this one tablet, this one equipment is an equipment. It's an equipment. Now, this is a physical equipment, but I'm only just telling us that when the ministries are in function, they help us to be equipped to do the work of ministry. 
so that when we are out there doing what God has called us to do as witnesses, we are equipped accordingly. He said, till we all come to the unity of the faith. It is very important we are united around the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. This is the work of the ministry. And verse 14 is very important. Let's read verse 14 together. He said that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. If you read this verse very well, if you read this verse very, very well, you will see that the fivefold has failed the church in recent times. Too many people are tossed about by every wind of doctrine. Anything that looks like it now, many people fall for it. That's why you see people who are washing their feet on top of people's head in the church. Did you see that kind of clip? I nearly cried seeing it. The man sat on one high table and people were bringing their head and he was putting water on his feet and washing it directly to their head. Every wind of doctrine, trickery of men, collecting money anyhow, prophesying into people's pockets. You now, shh, shh, <laughs> I prophesy. <laughs> collecting money, trickeries of every kind. He said the work of the fivefold is to keep telling people what the real thing is. So that because, look, there is nothing new under the sun. Paul saw this. He said the, the reason the fivefold God gave, Jesus has given this ministry, is that people will no longer be tossed to and fro. When they are fed the right word of God, they have the understanding of who they are in Christ. They understand that they are dignified. They are important. God has no rating in terms of how he places his children. They understand that perfectly. He said that that is why they will not be tossed to and fro. They will not be carried by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness. I make bold to say that if the church... I believe in reading leadership. I follow great leaders. I follow many great leaders, especially those who are leaders of the faith. Of course, I look at leaders in the business world as well. For things that do to do with business, there is just foolishness not to learn from people who have gone ahead of you in certain areas of endeavors of life and learn from them. That's fine. But you see, we must not use business principles to run church. We must not. <laughs> we cannot use the philosophies of men to run church. I repeat, this organization called the church has no parallel. If you cannot read the word of God to understand how to run it, forget it. No human philosophy is big enough to help church run outside the word of God. <laughs> Everything about administration is here. Management of funds is here. How to make sure that gifts are distributed and people are working effectively is here. How to rely on God is here. How to have faith is here. Everything that we need for ministry is contained in the word of God. And my charge to us today, by the grace of God, is to remain a church that continues to insist that our standard remains the word of God. And for those under the sound of my voice, that God continues to help us to stay focused on the word of God. It is good to look at how philosophies work in the business world. I don't, I don't think it is wrong but you see, anything that does not conform with the word of God should be discarded. Any theory of man that does not align itself with the word of God in terms of running church and making church what it should be, should be discarded. Paul said that we will not be tossed about. He said, but we can be speaking the truth in love so that we may grow up. Somebody say grow up. Grow up. This is another thing that we can see. 
in the body of Christ today, many are not growing up because the fivefold ministry is not allowed to, to, to deploy in the way that people should grow. How do you make people grow when you teach people to pray, to express their own faith? Now, it is not popular because people like quick fixes now. People want to come to a pastor who will say, what is your problem? Tell me all your problem. And he say, Pastor, this is it. This one, A, B, C, D. And then that one, she kukuro. Everything soft. Go away now. God bless you. That's what people are looking for. <laughs> they say, that man is anointed and whatever. But you see, the pastor who will, t- who will tell them, go and read the Bible. You know the story of Sarah? Read it. Meditate on it. <laughs> and Sarah cried to the Lord. When you get home, you cry to God. <laughs> when he shows them the word of God, they say, I don't like that man. He's okay. <laughs> There's no anointing there. <laughs> And that man wants them to grow. How many of you at age, when, you were, when your children started to eat, three months, you were giving them, up to three, four months, you are giving them, I'm forgetting now, I think it's about six months. You give them breast milk and all those skin. You give them. Then at a point when they can sit by themselves, you take spoon, isn't it? You take something, little thing, you put it in their mouth. You put it in their mouth. Do you want to keep doing that when they are three years, four years? You don't want to. If you have to do that for any child, you'll be crying to God, say, Lord, help me, let this child grow up. Because the child should come to a place where they carry the spoon by themselves. Even if they are first putting it by their cheek like that, you keep encouraging them, put it inside, center. (laughs) Because we need to grow up. The children need to grow up. The same way children need to grow up physically so that they can start doing things for themselves. In the same way, we also must grow up spiritually. And this is what the work of the ministry is. The Bible says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together according to the effective working by which every part does its share. God never designed the church for a few people to be doing a few things or a few people to be doing all things. He wants every part of that body to be doing its share so that there can be a collective growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let us continue to appreciate God for the privilege that he has given to us. So having said all this, let me just quickly say the word apostle simply means the one who is sent. The one who is sent. That's what it means. And that's why I say today I'm surprised when people put certain titles to their name. And I keep wondering what, how does this, your, your ministry aligns with this, this title you have given yourself. Apostle prophet. Sent to where? To who? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, in the first instance, we are all sent. There's no doubt about that. But in that context, we are all witnesses. Okay, but you see, an apostle is sent specifically with a mandate to reach a group of people somewhere with a particular clear vision that God gives to them by the Holy Spirit. This is what we must understand. Jesus selects certain people and he says, you will be a message. That is why today we say we have apostles of faith. We have apostles who are teaching the body and are are grounding the body in the area of sanctification and so on and so forth. So everyone must understand that one who is sent is an apostle. And when we talk about doctrine, we just simply mean we are talking about teaching, teaching. Doctrine is about teaching. So teaching the word of God based on things that God is uh, intending to relate to the body of Christ. So we must understand this, that when we talk about the apostles' doctrine, because you will see it in a few times in scripture, it's talking about the teachings by those who are sent by God. 
I hope this makes it clearer to us. If by reason of definition and what God is doing with us here, if I want to use the title apostle, I can use it. Because God called me and he said, go and do this for me. It doesn't, that's not more than that. He called you, he gave you a mandate, and he's calling people to you to join with that mandate. That is an apostolic calling. But I'm not using it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because you don't need to use it. You just need to do it. Someone say, just do it. Say, just do it. That's what you need. If you carry the title and you are doing nothing, you are a waste of space to the body of Christ. There are too many title-carrying people, too many title-carrying people all over the world that are not doing what God said we should do. So let us get back to the original and let us deploy ourselves. Very quickly, I will tell us three, four categories of apostles, the last one of which we are part of, but the first three for us to learn from and to understand from Scripture. The first category of apostleship in the Bible is Jesus Christ himself. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. Those of you that will remember when we were studying the book of Hebrews, we talked about Jesus being our faithful high priest. But in this verse, it's also contained the fact that he is our chief apostle. He said, therefore, let's read it together verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Tell your neighbor for me, consider Jesus, the chief apostle. What should you consider about him? Let's read verse 2 together. Who was faithful to him who appointed him? As Moses also was faithful in all his house. Don't forget, the writer of Hebrew was trying as much as possible to draw a parallel from Moses and the Old Testament to Jesus because he was talking to converted Jews, okay? That's why you keep seeing Moses' name appear, Abraham's name would appear, and so on and so forth. But the reality is that Jesus Christ was faithful. At Gethsemane, he told us something. He said, not my will, but your will. That's the peak of faithfulness. He said, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass over me. But he immediately said, but Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. It's so important that we understand that faithfulness is something we must learn from Jesus Christ. So that's the first point. Jesus is our chief apostle who taught us and modeled unto us faithfulness. Whether we are called only to be witnesses or particularly much more if we are called to be an apostle. And listen, friends, an apostle is not just, I said one who is sent. So he's not just called to, you are not just sent to do pulpit ministry. You may be sent by God to take care of orphans. You may be sent by God to do something that's completely different from what people will call ministry, but is based on biblical principles, is based on a commission that would allow you to fulfill the great commission in doing that. So that we can understand that it's not just being sent to plant a church. Predominantly so, but not always so. He said, therefore, holy brethren, he said he was faithful. He said who was faithful to him who appointed him. So Jesus teaches us about faithfulness. Jesus teaches us about humility. Jesus showed us 
Don't turn to it, but Philippians 2, 5, we quote it a lot. He said, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. That even though he was equal with God, did not consider it robbery. Even though he was in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. The Bible says he, he made himself of no reputation. He became a bond servant. He became a bond servant. He made himself of no reputation. And to the point whereby he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even the death on the cross. The most shameful death that could, be, that, that could happen in the time that he lived here on earth. Even the death on the cross. So he taught us how to be humble. Everyone who is called into the apostolic ministry. Everyone who is called as one who is sent must learn that they must be faithful, learning from Jesus Christ. The Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, Hebrews 12, 2. He despised the shame. He kept on going. They must learn faithfulness and they must learn how to continually be humble. Humility is not a gift. I have said it many times. It's not a gift. You walk to be humble. <laughs> Pride will attack you every day, especially with every little attainment. Pride comes. You have to fight it. You have to fight it with the grace of God that is upon your calling to resist every form of pride so that humility can continue to thrive. They tried to make Christ proud. He refused them. They wanted to make him king. He escaped. He escaped. If he was a mother human being, they would say... Let me enjoy this thing a little. <laughs> Even though I will still go to the cross, let me just quickly enjoy this. <laughs> the Bible says he escaped from them because it is not, that is not his calling. Hallelujah. Let us learn from Jesus Christ to be faithful, to be humble, and to be committed because we need this in the body of Christ. Then number two category of apostles are what theologians call the 12 apostles of the Lamb, basically the 12 disciples. You can call them the 12 apostles of Christ or the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The Lamb meaning Jesus Christ. These were personally trained by Jesus Christ. So people like Peter, those men he first called and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Peter, James, and John, all those people who he called, Matthew, whom he called and he sat with them, ate with them, taught them daily what it meant to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. We can learn from their story as well. Mark chapter 3, verse 14, tells us a, a little bit about them. Let's read Mark 3, 14 together. It said, Then he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, that he might do what? Send them out. That he might send them out to preach. He appointed them that they might be with him. That means that he might train them so that he can send them out. And verse 15 says, And to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Jesus Christ showed us how he trained these twelve to become the very, very apostles that will remain after he has ascended and to start to be endued with power from on high. And we know their story very well. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, when he now said to them they should tarry in Jerusalem after he was ascended that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would receive power. The Bible says they received the power and as I said, they spoke in tongues in the languages that people could understand. And then towards the end of the message, the Bible says 3,000 people were added to them. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 40, Acts chapter 2, verse 40, the Bible says, And with many other signs, 
He testified, exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved from this perverse generation. And he said, those who were gladly, those who, then verse 41 says, those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, 3,000 souls were saved. This is Acts 2. And they continued. Somebody said they continued. Steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine. Say in the apostles' doctrine. And fellowship. In the breaking of bread. And prayers. This is why we still do all those things today. We still do all those things. Because we are also continuing the apostles, the 12 apostles of the Lamb were taught these things by Jesus Christ. He first took bread. The Bible says, and he took bread. When he broke it, he said to them, take it. This is my body given to you. Then he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which my blood, which represents my blood, which was shed for you. And then the apostles took it and they started doing it and we are still doing it today. Praise the Lord. He said they continued and we were in prayers. They started, Jesus started by praying. He taught the disciples how to pray and we are also praying today. We must continue in those things. Any church that stops doing any of those things has stopped doing the foundational things that the church was built upon. The ministry of the word, prayer, the breaking of bread must be part and parcel of every church because that is what came. The Bible says in verse 43, 243, that fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So we learn from these 12 apostles of the Lamb things like how to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And many of us learn the so-called model prayer today, our Father who art in heaven. And from it, we learn that there is a pattern of prayer. A pattern of prayer is that we exalt God, we bring our supplications before him, and we end it up with exalting him again. That is a pattern, rough pattern of prayer. Every prayer must take that pattern. You don't just start, they say, pray. You say, okay, our Father, today I need to go to something. Help me. <laughs> no, that is not a prayer. You have started with complaining. <laughs> You must first say, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I bless your name. That's why he taught them. He said, you used to pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You exalt the Lord. So we learned that from the 12 apostles. Until today, we are still doing it. And Jesus starting to come, that must continue to be the legacy of the church. Friend, there is no new revelation anywhere. Everyone trying to create a new revelation and fabricate something that is not biblical is nothing but a hireling, but a liar and a thief. There can be modernizations, contextualizations, things that will make the word of God more relevant to our understanding in these times, but they must never deviate from the principle. God does not have a problem with changing of precepts, but if you touch his principles, you have gone off the mark. God's principles remain the same. Jesus Christ is the son of God that was given for mankind to be redeemed. And Jesus said, as many that received him, he gave them power to become the sons of God. And they must keep going to tell others to receive him, to be given the power to become the sons of God. Period. And when they do it, they do it in the church. Another fallacy of our time. That you have the Holy Ghost on your inside and you can pray in tongues and you can even prophesy does not mean you must not belong to a church. The day you no longer belong to a physical church and a gathering that you can be identified with, you are no longer a member of the body of Christ. You are on your own. 
Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. The Bible says they continued steadfastly meeting together. The writer of the Hebrew said, therefore do not neglect the assembling together of one another as the manner of some is. There is no modern form of church. Thank God for the internet today. And we are grateful to God for the internet and everyone who can join in. But you see, if people are joining from the internet and they are committed to that church, now we have made it possible to be committed to the church in diverse ways. You can be committed. We have our church members, members of this church who commit to this church, who live in Manchester. And they've been praying with us, doing things with us for years. Because we have the technology to do so. And we join them. They join us from time to time physically. That's no problem. That's no problem. They contribute to the progress of the church. They are part of that whole that is building the body. But when people come to the point where they think they have come, listen to me, many people who are my age and have been born in church in many cases have gone through so many cycles of church that some of them are no longer in church. They have, they have fallen off the cliff. <laughs> They have achieved everything. They have become, they, some of them have been associate pastor, pastor. They have done all those things by the time they were 40. They have done all those things. So they have lost everything. They, they just now feel that now I am an institution by my, even me, myself, I'm church. <laughs> Friend, that is a lie of the devil. Get yourself into a church today and sit down and serve God again. Tell those young people from your experience how not to do it again. Yeah. Hallelujah. We need to return to the basics. That's the body of Christ. The 12 apostles of the Lamb taught us how to have faith. Jesus said to them, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Jesus said to them, one of the things that apostles must learn from the 12 apostles. Luke chapter 10. Don't turn to it. Jesus sends them out two by two. And they came back. They said, wow, we had results. And Jesus said, do not rejoice in that. But rejoice rather than your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Every apostle must understand that every conquest, every victory, your church growing, your planting spreading, the things that God is doing through your life increasing, must never ever take away the fact that the greatest gift God has given to you is that you are going to heaven. Never be thrown by, away by your results. Those people were immediately taught and we learned it there. But much more importantly, Luke 2, 22 verse 35. Jesus said to them, he said, when I sent you, somebody say, apostles are sent. Apostles are sent. Say, apostles are sent. Jesus said, when I sent you, please write down this one, whether you are an apostle or a prophet or a brother or a sister. <laughs> you write this down. Luke chapter 22, verse 35. He said, but when I sent you out, did you lack anything? And they said to him, nothing. You will never lack again. I say you will never lack again. When I saw that scripture, it settled for me. I had been praying and God has been telling me things about ministry. But when I was coming into this realm of ministry, and then I saw that scripture, I understood that everyone who is sent by God can never lack. You can never lack. Many people do not understand this. That's why people have resorted to all kinds of, you know, trickery processes <laughs> to just try to keep making it work. Except God did not send you. If you send yourself, God's go and descend yourself. <laughs> go and unsend yourself. That's the word. Unsend yourself because there is no survival in that. But if it is this God that sent you, my brother, my sister, you settle your mind 
You said to your mind, Jesus categorically said, when I sent you, that don't take money bags, don't take any script, don't take any sandals, don't take anything. He said, did you ever lack anything? They said, nothing. He said, take it from me. Basically, you will never lack because I sent you. And the Bible says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. If Jesus never lacked anything to do his earthly resources, earthly ministry here, even to pay tax, he could pay tax. When they challenged him that his disciples were not paying tax, he said, go and catch a fish. They found it. When he needed a donkey, he got it. He himself never lacked anything. He never lacked anything. He said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. If this settles for you, you will never be afraid of resources for ministry again, whatever that ministry is. And don't forget, I said it is about being sent. If God sends you even in your work, in your area of work, and where God expects you to manifest in business and in areas of secular practice of work, I want you to know that you are sent there for a purpose. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. And so because you are sent there, you cannot lack anything. If everybody can understand Luke 22, 35 alone, everything about lack in your life will just die. I say it will die off in Jesus' name. All we need to learn is how to wait patiently on God for the timing of his resources. That is the other thing. Everyone who is sent of God must understand that God sends and he has a time that he has appointed for everything. Because of time, we quickly move to the third group, which we can learn from. These are what we call the foundational or transitional apostles. So the first apostle is who? Jesus, the who? The chief apostle. The second one is who? Huh. You are not writing. That's why. <laughs> you are not writing. You say you listen to the video later. <laughs> the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The 12 apostles of the Lamb. These are the 12 disciples. Every time you are reading their story, listen to me. Every time you are reading their stories, and they said, Jesus, why couldn't we cast him out? Focus on it. Whatever Jesus taught them there is a principle to learn. Every time you are reading their story, Jesus, look at the tree you cursed yesterday. And he said to them, you just need to believe God. You just need to have faith in God. That whosoever shall say to this mountain, concentrate on it and learn it. So that you too, when you confront your own mountains in life, you use the same principles to conquer them. We use it in ministry. We use it in every area of calling. Hallelujah. So we learn from the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Then number three, we learn from the foundational or transitional apostles. These are those who did not physically work with Jesus Christ, but they were equally joined up to the apostles after he ascended, immediately after he ascended. People like Paul, people like Luke, the great physician who wrote the book of Acts. Luke was never with those disciples who became the foundational, who became the uh, apostles, 12 apostles of the Lamb. But he was a foundational apostle. The evidence that he was related to many of them was real. Many theologians believe that he was a friend to Matthew, Mark, and uh, John. Many people believe that he was there. And then obviously he worked with Paul quite a lot. That is why he could account for the story of Paul in the book of Acts. Right from chapter 9, right to, to the end of the book of Acts. He was with him all through. And so we have people like James. And Jude, this is James, the half-brother, not James, the disciple, but James, the half-brother of Jesus. And Jude, these were not disciples, but they were people who, after Jesus ascended, also became converted, and they were also foundational. 
These apostles, the 12 apostles and the foundational apostles were those who wrote for us the entire of the New Testament. We don't have time to break it up so that you know who wrote what. We know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John clearly was written by those people. And then the book of Acts by Luke. And then all the epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Romans, all those ones were written by Paul. Then we have Jude. Then John wrote the gospel according to John. He wrote 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, and Revelation. And like that. So we have the whole New Testament written by these people who were foundational apostles and those people. And so the whole New Testament is a script of what God said to them when he was physically with them, what he revealed to them after he left, and what he said to them was going to happen, as John documented in the book of Revelation. Paul said some things in Galatians chapter 1, verse one. Let's quickly read it because of time. Quickly. He said, Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through God, uh, not through man. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man. Paul's apostleship, not from men, nor through man. This is very important. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Many apostles today are appointed by men. What do I mean by that? There are many people who have been told by colleagues to go and start church. They are in the church. They preach two times, three times. They say, brother, you are called. <laughs> Sister, we can see you are called. And some of those people, out of naivety, some, maybe they are selfish ambition, but in many cases, out of ignorance and immaturity, they say, really? They say, you are called. We will support you. <laughs> if man say, we will support you, I, I pray for you. <laughs> The man that said, Hosanna on Sunday, we shall crucify him on Friday, I tell you. <laughs> With the same lips, they did it to Jesus, they can do it to anybody. But if God called you, then you are safe. Galatians 1.1, again. Look at what Paul said, read it with me. And everybody online, wherever you are, read this. It will set you free from any attempt to be pushed by yourself or by people. Let's read it again together. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the Father, who raised him from the dead. We know that from Acts 9. Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And God spoke to him through Jesus, and Jesus called him and gave him his ministry. This is very important. In the year 2001, I used to preach in, in a church in Wolverhampton, and I was just called by the pastor. I had just come into this country about a year. And the pastor just called me in one service like that, unexpected, unplanned. We used to have house fellowship in my house, some of the members, maybe they told him something. I don't know, God knows till today, I never asked him what prompted him. He just called me out in the service, he said, Brother Dave, God sent you to this country to be a pillar and blah, 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 prophesied, said, and then from today you will be teaching in some of our services. I said, I didn't plan for this. And then within two weeks, I started preaching in the church. And within six months, God was helping us. Things were moving. Hallelujah. Things were moving and we were seeing things. And after service, one young man, I know he meant well. He came up to me. He said, you know what? You're a good preacher. i never forget the young man. See, you're a good preacher. I said, oh, we bless God for that. It's God's grace. Then he said, actually, you should be the one preaching here. I ran away from his presence. <laughs> I didn't even answer to today. I just ran away. <laughs> Don't kill me before my time. 
I've been told many times, Pastor, Brother Dave, just go. If I was to follow men, I would have been in the so-called ministry, maybe, still, hopefully still surviving. But I would have gone into ministry since the late 90s. Many people told me this and that and this, but I have learned from a childhood age, watching that only the one God calls and God speaks to directly ever survives it. I waited. I got it. 1998, God told me, I'm taking you out of your home country to minister my word in a unique way. If I was not waiting on God, that 2001, I would have said, ah, maybe that's God speaking through this young man, you see. <laughs> the other tempting time was 2009 in my life because I now had to move on from that ministry. And a lot of people were expecting that I would just start. But God never told me. So I kept. 12 years later, one day when he noticed that I was just doing my thing, he came to me and said, now is the time. You will step it up and this is what you will do. And then those conversations that I've told you about. Just wait on God. One of the reasons why I am so much at peace today is because I did not send myself to do this. Every apostle must understand that what Paul said here is key. Don't call yourself. Otherwise, you will have to sustain yourself. Verse 19. He said, I didn't see all the other apostles, but then I saw another one. Verse 19, Galatians 1, 19. He said, except James, the Lord's brother. That was another one that was called by God. He said, I saw none other except James. The calling of these apostles teaches us about the need for originality, the need for timing, and the need to understand that God is not a respecter of persons. If God came and called a person like Saul, who was seen as the enemy of the church at a point, and suddenly God could call him. It means all of you looking at me now, any of you can be called at any time. And God is my witness, I'll be the last person if I am convinced beyond any reasonable doubt that you are called to do something at a higher level than you are doing it now. Either to go and plant a church mission or something that God is calling you to, by the special grace and mercies of God, I will stand with you and pray with you and make sure we get it right. Because this is not a competition. It's not a competition. Praise the Lord. <laughs> the body of Christ is about a deployment of people. But I beg of you, if God calls you to be in a place, to serve in a place, serve with every strength and every diligence that God gives. Then we come to the ascension gifts, apostles, the fourth group, the ascension gifts, apostles. That is us today. This is us who are called after Christ's ascension, and we are called to build on the foundation of the, old, of the former apostles that we have talked about. Jesus Christ, the twelve, and those he called as transitional, like Paul and so on. Our duty is to carry something unique and to establish kingdom culture everywhere we are sent. You see, the same way in Acts chapter 2, when God spoke to different people with different languages, is the same way God is calling churches to have different expressions today. That's why the worship styles are different from church to church. It doesn't make them better than us or us better than them. As long as we are all propagating the message of the gospel, that's what makes us church. Anybody not preaching the gospel, teaching human being and doing things, that is not what we're talking about. But any church that's standing for the pure word of, the, of God and teaching about Christ and Christ's sanctification and Christ's return again, 
should be a church that should be in the same category with every other church that is doing the same. Ephesians 2, 19. He said, now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. Somebody say, I'm a fellow citizen with the saints and members of the household of God. Let's read verse 20 together. All of us that are now fellow citizens, he said we, should, we are what? Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Every one of us must always remember that it is about him. Every calling we have in life today must always tie back to Jesus Christ. The true test of your Christianity is first your acceptance of Jesus Christ and Lord and the fact that he is truly Lord over your life, and also in the following of the apostles' doctrine. This is what makes church today. The Holy Spirit is still the sender. He's still sending people. I've told you many times, as a person, I can give you my stories, how many times he spoke to me, and how he still speaks. Where we read, those of you that are watching this online, or you missed the Bible reading, our brother John read for us, Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 12. Something happened there. Look at verse 1. He said, now in the church, that was in Antioch. This was the first place people were called Christians. The city of Antioch. The church that was there. There were certain prophets and teachers. They were called Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, and those who were brought up, and Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And then verse 2. Let's read verse 2, everybody. Let's shout verse 2 together. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It is the Holy Spirit that commissions. Let us continue to allow him to commission. Every apostolic anointing we have must come from him. He gives us grace. You see, as an apostle, we don't have enough time today as an apostle, you must be a person connected to the Holy Spirit. You must have faith. You must have courage. You must have boldness. You must walk in holiness. You must have integrity. The qualifications of an apostle are many. Because you are spearheading, you must see the unseen. You must stay ahead of the people all the time. Staying with God. Always in step with the voice of God. You must rely on him totally. It is very important as an apostle that you are such a person. I want to quickly close by saying that Paul said something in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1. Whatever the ministry, as we'll be looking at ministry gifts over the next few weeks, whatever the ministry you have, look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, verse 2. And though I have all faith that I could remove mountains and uh, I have not love, I am nothing. Say, though, verse 3, I bestow my goods, I'm benevolent. I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. So friends, while it is important to seek to operate in the gifts that God wants us to operate in, let us never forget that everything must be driven by love. Love for God and love for people. The truth is, if you don't love people, you can't function very well in any ministry in the body of Christ. You have to love God very good, but you must love people. 
Because people don't love themselves at times. <laughs> so you have to love them to help them to love themselves. <laughs> Let's rise to our feet and just trust God. Where